And still, I tried to come up here. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Romans 3 today. Romans 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you'll have Romans right after that. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word this morning? Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. May you hear the word of Christ this morning. But now, quite apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bore witness to it, God's covenant justice has been displayed. God's covenant justice comes into operation through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah, for the benefit of all who have faith. For there is no distinction. All sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And by God's grace, they are freely declared to be in the right, to be members of the covenant through the redemption which is found in the Messiah Jesus. Verse 25, God put forth as the place of mercy through faithfulness by means of his blood. He did this to demonstrate his covenant justice because of the passing over in divine longsuffering of sins committed beforehand. This was to demonstrate his covenant justice in the present time. That is, that he himself is in the right, and that he declares to be in the right everyone who trusts in the faithfulness of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we have gathered this morning on this Sunday, recognizing that our knees now need to bend. We need to posture ourselves our hearts and our minds and all of who we are towards you, our King. And so may you now open our ears that we might receive and hear your word and to hear it anew, hear it in a new way so that we can be fed and feast on that word. And so, Lord, speak. We ask by your spirit that you would speak so clearly and audibly this morning and that we would be changed from the inside out. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. To give you just a very brief uh, four weeks, I guess, this being the fifth Sunday of where we've been in the month of June as a whole, uh, if you have that little sheet that I always keep back there, that we're moving through each of these small things throughout uh, each month. And in the month of June, we're looking at unselfish self-care. And today, I want to throw out one final word to you. We've looked at the first couple of weeks, our inward lives moving upward. That all of who we are is meant to move towards the love of God. Our inward lives moving upward. And then last week, we looked at how that spills over into an outward love of neighbor. So we have inward lives moving upward, spilling out outward towards our neighbors and our community, those strangers that we meet and the like, I want to throw one last word to you, onward. Yes, there was definitely reason why I chose that, that hymn for us to sing today because it speaks about this onward movement that we cannot stop in the onward mission of God's redemptive plan fulfilling right in the midst of our lives. And how he desires for us to continue taking our inward lives, pushing them up, upward, and then we spill over into outward love of neighbor, and we continue on in those 
and the, that daily and weekly living. And so here's how I want us to start. That's just the brief summary of where we've been. This is how I want us to look at uh, Romans 3 sort of with new eyes, so to speak. Think of your favorite movie. Think of your favorite actors, the actual characters in that movie. Maybe if you're a child of the 80s like myself, it's Marty McFly. You know what I'm talking about, right? Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Or maybe you're a fan of Dirty Harry. Maybe you're also a fan of uh, Star Wars, a Han Solo and the like. Or maybe uh, for the kids today, you're a fan of nothing other than Cotton Jack Sparrow, right? Whether, whatever character you have in mind, whatever story or movie that you have in mind, I want you to keep in mind this thing. Nearly every single film that you watch has four movements, and I can, take, I can put a $1,000 bet on this. Four movements. You have an intro. This is where you're introduced into what's going on. And then before you know it, conflict. Some sort of conflict happens in order to move the story forward. And then right after that, you continue to build and build and build in the story. And then finally you get to the climax of the story. This is where all of the movie has been moving the entire direction. And then at the very end, the fourth movement is a conclusion. This is where it's all wrapped up. Intro to conflict to the climax of the story to conclusion. Every single movie moves in those four movements. And so whether we're looking at Jack Sparrow, Dirty Harry, Han Solo, or Marty McFly, we get to the climax of those stories and we think, ah, oh, the hero, he's going to show up any moment, right? We wait for him. We wait for her. We don't know how they're going to come back from the dead. We don't know how they're going to come back to the future. We don't know how they're going to make it back onto the scene, but they do. And it turns the whole movie upside down, making, of course, a happy ending. If I could give you a synopsis of what's going on in Romans 3, it's, it's sort of like that. Because we think that everything seems to be on course, that, that the conflict has happened, that we're moving towards the climax, and then Paul says, here it is. Everything seemed to be on course, and now I'm pointing you to the climax of this entire story of Israel, and it is met in the person of Jesus. Everything has been moving historically to this very moment. So for the Jews, they seemed to be on course. They were waiting for some sort of Messiah to hit the scene, for some new king to show up. They didn't know when, but it had been promised through the law and the prophets, through their writings, through the Hebrew scriptures. And then finally, Paul says, here he is right there. You missed it. And in fact, you missed it so much that you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. There was your climax of the story, Israel. And will you truly listen to the story that God is telling? Or the Gentiles, these are the non-Jews. Say, Roman citizen, they would have said, well, everything seems to be on track. All of history has been moving towards Rome becoming the greatest empire that the world has ever seen. Caesar is Lord, Caesar is King, and all victories that Rome has won has, have been pointing to our Caesar. And Paul even says, nah, there's a greater king and lord. 
there's one bigger and better. Because Jesus is the one who changes everything. He's the one who comes onto the scene in order for us to see that the climax of the story of God's people is right there in this person. So let's look back where we started the Hebrew scriptures and move up to where Romans is. Because intro, conflict, climax of the story, and the conclusion. What's the intro to the people of Israel? In the beginning. That's the first three words in Hebrew that come from the Hebrew scriptures. In the beginning, God. Here he is in the midst of nothing and he creates grandeur. He creates creates beauty. He creates all things and he says after he has created all these things, he says it is very good. That's the beginning. And it's short after that you have the creation of Adam and Eve and then here we have the introduction of the conflict. Right there. Two chapters after he's created everything good, everything turns on its head and the conflict here is the disobedience of Adam and Eve and it throws the whole story of God's people into a different direction. But that's not the end of the story. Because if you keep following the logic of the story, the people continue to wait and wait and wait. Who will be the hero? Who will be the savior of this story? Who will be the protagonist that comes onto the scene and turns everything upside down? Will it be Abraham? Genesis 12, it says the Lord called out to Abraham. Ooh, he sets up some promises with Abraham. But Abraham dies. Well, could it be Moses? He's called out in order to redeem a people from the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. But he disobeys as well, and he dies. Well, what about David? This is a king after uh, the God's own heart. But he's caught up in adultery and murder and the like, and he too dies. Well, what about his son Solomon? This is supposed to be the wisest king that ever lived. Well, he's got his shortcomings as well, and he too dies. And so you have all of these big characters within the story of Israel. And we're trying to figure out who will be the righteous one. Who will be the one who will turn the entire story upside down? Who will resolve the conflict that was started with, Abraham, uh, with Adam and Eve? Who will put everything back to rights? And Paul says, enter Jesus. Stage right. Here he is right in the midst of our own people in our own time. Paul is pointing to him and saying, this is the one who is redeeming you and I, and he is putting everything back to the way it was meant to be as it was intended in the garden. And so if you read verse, verses 21 and 22 again, slowly look at see what Paul says. But now, quite apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bore witness to it, God's covenant justice has been displayed. And God's covenant justice comes in operation through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah, for the benefit of all who believe. This is the climax of the story, according to Paul. Everything has been moved to this point. The law and the prophets, the Hebrew scriptures, have been pointing this direction the whole time. And now here he is right in the midst of us. And you crucified him. You thought wrong about who this king was. 
And yet God raised him from the dead in order to show you that even though David died, even though Solomon died, even though Moses and Abraham and Adam and Eve died, this one has been raised from the dead and there's a new exodus happening in and through this person, Jesus. Look at verse 22. Paul says, God's covenant justice has been displayed not through the obedience and faithfulness to the law, but through, here it is, church, the faithfulness of Jesus. Ha! That's what Paul is saying. Ha! You missed it. Right here, it is the faithfulness of Jesus on our behalf. He's the one who restores and redeems us. It is not through obedience through the law. It is through His faithfulness that you are made right. So, if I can use the language of the kids nowadays, he's dropping some truth bombs. He's dropping four of them, in fact. Here's the first one. To be, Paul says, to be of God's redeemed people is not to identify oneself with the law. It is not to be identified with the temple. It is not to be identified with the dietary laws that they had or even to be a part of geographic Israel that strip a land. It's not. Something new is happening in and through this person of Jesus. And all of those things, the law, the temple, the dietary laws, what it means to actually be Israel, all of them are wrapped up. They are climaxed. They are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. All of this wrapped up in him. That's the first, first truth bomb. The second one, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, all great. Incredible leaders in the story of Israel. But they all pointed to a greater one who would come. As Abraham was the one who received the promises of God, even though uh, Moses was the great teacher of the law, even though David was the great king and Solomon worked almost like a priest for his people because he helped build the temple, a greater one has come, a better promise keeper, a better teacher, a better king and a better priest, and it's found in the life and work of Jesus himself, according to Paul. Here's the third truth bomb. And Paul is pointing to all Israel and all to the history. And he says, if you see some sort of cycle in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's this. Israel failed again and again and again and again. Every single time. They were disobedient. They were exiled. They were brought back by the grace and mercy of God Himself. And yet, they continued to run away from Him. They failed to take up His own commission God's mission to be a light to the nations, to be a light to those around them, and they failed to be faithful to the Father. Yet, God the Son is faithful to the Father completely. He is the one who is in humble obedience to Him. He is, Paul is saying, the true Israelite. If you want to understand what it means to be the people of God, you have to look at Jesus, is what Paul is saying. This is what it means for us to look like God's people when we follow and imitate in the ways of Jesus. Paul is also saying for the fourth and last truth bomb this. All that this, this that Jesus did was for Jews, the Israelites, the promised people, and non-Jews alike. It was for all. Read verse 22. This righteousness that God delivers through the Son, Jesus, was for the benefit of all who had trusting faith in Him. 
for all. This would have been profound in his day. Jews did not hang out with Gentiles. Gentiles did not hang out with Jews. What God is doing in and through this person of Jesus is that he's bringing together two bodies into one complete body. He is restoring all of the world back to himself through the body of Christ, through the blood of Christ. And so, yes, the Gentiles, the non-Jews can now be identified with the people of Israel as members of the covenant. Guess what? Look around. You're all Gentiles. None of us, I'm willing to bet, are Jew in heritage. We are all brought into the membership of God's own house because of the work of Christ. And we are being made into his people a spiritual house, as Paul, uh, Peter will say in his own letter, built up in order to demonstrate the goodness and mercy that God has showed his people in and through our lives. And so this would have been a profound moment for anybody here in his day, that Jews and Gentiles together, yes, all because they have this trusting faithfulness in the person of Christ himself. You were brought home into the household of God. You were brought home to the Father through the Son. And you all, he says in verse 23, are made members in the family of God's covenant. Not because of anything that you did, but because completely of the faithfulness of Christ on your behalf. So God's redemptive project goes into the very brokenness, uh, the fabrics of brokenness into our lives, the fabric of brokenness into the world in order for his onward mission to continue. Each and every one of our lives to keep onward. But how does he do this? Well, Paul responds in verse 25. Look at it. Verse 25, it says, God put forth as a place of mercy through faithfulness by means of his blood. He did this to demonstrate his covenant justice because of the passing over of sins committed beforehand. If we were good Jews in his day, we would have caught two words that Paul had just written. First one, a place of mercy. Whenever you went into the temple, you would notice some unique furniture. One of, the, you, one of those unique pieces of furniture would have been the mercy seat. This would have been where symbolically God met, actually talked with his people, came and communed with his people. This was the very place. And Paul is saying, Jesus is the place of mercy. He has come in and through the person of Christ in order to commune with his people in order to communicate with this people. That's the first word. The other word that we should catch is the passing over of sins. You hear it? Passing over. He's bringing up language of Exodus. As the Israelites were one day in exile, they were in Egypt of the oppressive Pharaoh. Well, the angel of death comes, remember, and God says, well, slaughter these lambs Place the blood on the doors so that when the angel comes, he passes over your home. What Paul is saying is that, one, God meets with his people through the person of Christ. And secondly, God passes over our sins and long forbearance through the own Passover lamb, 
Jesus. Through the blood of Christ, through the Passover lamb, the Father meets with his people here in our midst for Israelites and non-Israelites. And as verse 26, he says this, All of this was to show that the Father was and is righteous, and he is the faithful one to his own covenant promises. Even though we're faithless and we run away from him, God the Father is faithful to his promises by bringing about a broken a tired, a hungry and desperate people out of slavery and into a new exodus. A new exodus. And who's the leader? None other than Christ himself. Leading a people out, the righteous one, teaching us his good instructions, being the own Passover lamb so that we can meet with the Father. Folks, this is a synopsis just in these five, six verses of the onward story that God is bringing about, not only then, but now in our midst. Even while we run away, God is faithful and continuing to pursue and chase after us. As we run away, He is onward, pushing, chasing after us in order to redeem us back to himself. And Paul will use that word redemption plenty of times in Romans. And redemption is none other than a buying back of a slave. You were bought with a price, Paul says. You have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. And you have been bought with this price because of the onward mission that God is fulfilling in and through this Jesus. And here it is, church. You too are invited in this onward mission of being able to not just celebrate, but be redemption bearers yourselves. So here's the question. How can we be redemption bearers here at Hickory Grove? How do we bear the redemption of Christ in our own lives? I sent this article to Blake about a month and a half ago, and I said if we could be five things at Hickory Grove, it would certainly be these five things. So if I could just throw this out there, it's not an official business meeting, but if this was the mission statement of Hickory Grove, I pray we would pursue this with our acknowledging the onward mission that God is fulfilling in and through Hickory Grove in particular, but across the globe. Here it is. The first thing that I see that God is working in and through Hickory Grove and also for us to pursue in His onward mission is passionate worship. That we are a people, as we gather, we desire and we hunger for the Word. That we long for the Word, to hear the Word so that we can be people of the Word. And we worship because the Word has been spoken, the Word has been brought to us, and then we celebrate it passionately. Secondly, Intentional development of our faith. Key word there, intentional. If there's one thing that I've tried to implement as much as I can uh, since we've been here is that intentional component. That looking for practical ways and how you as a grandfather, a grandmother, a mother, a father, uncle, best friend, whoever you are, intentionally develop your faith in order for it to spill out into your own home before your spouse, before your friends, before your uh, fellow employees, your co-workers and the like. 
we are intentionally trying to develop our faith to grow and mature in the things of Christ so that we can become imitators of this Christ in his humility, but also in his sacrifice. Three, here's the third thing. This is one thing we do well, and I got to brag on us. Extravagant generosity. If there's one thing that we know well, and that's to be extravagantly generous. We know how to be able to see our time and say, I can go further. We see our money and say, we can go further. We see a need and we go further. We're able to pour into those things and we are able to show, as Hickory Grove, extravagant generosity. Here's the fourth thing. And these last two, let me just say this. These are goals that I think we can have in mind and how we continue to see the onward mission of God's work in our own church. We need to people who are willing to take risks in mission and service. Let me say it again. Willing to take risks in mission and service. Whatever service that is needed in this community, that we take a risk for it. And it's not like, oh, will we get our money back kind of risk? No, 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 no. That's not the gospel, church. We're willing to pour ourselves out so much that we don't care what the benefit is back to us. That we're willing to risk our own time and talent to make sure that others know that the love of Christ is there for them. That we're willing to go above and beyond to show the extravagance of Christ. That's the fourth, and here's the fifth. And this is one that we're doing better and better by the week. Radical hospitality. We must be a people who demonstrate the hospitality of Christ in our own homes. Be able to show the radical hospitality that God, while we were yet sinners, chased after us. And we demonstrate that, and we are able to show that in our own lives. We're willing to welcome the stranger into our home, the person who is needing a place to stay for a few days or a week at a time, that we are overly hospitable towards them so that they ask the question, why are you doing this? It's because we've been redeemed. We have been bought with the price through the blood of Christ, and we have been made hospitable into our own Father's house and we want to share our house with you. So how can we continue with this onward mission of Ed Hickory Grove, of passionate worship, intentional faith development, extravagant generosity, risk-taking mission and service, and radical hospitality? I say we continue on, and onward and onward and onward, so that we see Christ continuing to work through us. Because as we said earlier, and we've continued to tell this story of us, we were minimal a couple years ago, right? Look around. Nothing I did, nothing we did. Christ is working church in an onward movement. Let us see if we can keep pace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love towards us. As you're overly generous to us. And that as we're reminded uh, of the story of Israel this morning that we found in Romans 3, that all of the climax of the story has been met in the person of Christ. But let us not think for a second 
and pause for a second and think that the story is over. It's not. And so may you continue your work and your people here at Hickory Grove, but especially across the globe, that your church would continue to see the faithfulness on our behalf and that would generate and stir within us a passion to keep up with that onward mission. Let us not grow tired, but may your spirit give us strength. And so, Father, it would be unwise for me to not read this passage from Romans 3 and to preach on it and not also see that you have also not just invited your church, but you have invited those who have no clue of who this Jesus is to continue in the onward mission that you are showing and being able to tell in and through us, but more than that, in places across the United States, across the sea, that we're invited into this onward mission of sacrificial love, of gospel telling, of gospel living. And we don't, we truly don't belong in it. And yet out of grace and mercy, you have brought us into a new home. And so how can we, if we are struggling with this question and we're not followers of Christ, how can we be on board? How can we become a follower of Christ and see that God is working in and through us and he desires to make us into the image and likeness of your son? Or maybe we have followed Christ, but we've never been baptized. How can we make that very special moment in which we are taking seriously the radical call to die to ourselves and to be raised to new life that we find perfectly portrayed in the baptism itself. Or maybe we're considering becoming members of a church. And Lord, as you know, it would be fantastic to have more members, not just for the sake of numbers, not for the sake of, oh, we've got more people. That is not it. Because that word member is not about a country club. It is a member in the family of God. And so if there are questions stirring in anybody's minds about even membership in the Hickory Grove, Lord, I ask that you would give them a desire to speak up and to talk to Blake or Charles or myself about becoming members of this church. Because you're working. And we'd love for them to come alongside us. Or those who are wanting to be baptized, grab Charles or Blake or myself, and to say, I've confessed Christ as king, but now I want to make it very vivid and real in baptism. Or lastly, if we want to be a follower of Christ, that you have had this stirring so deep within your heart and your mind, and you've held back and held back, grab Charles, Blake, or myself, I pray that you would take that step because that onward mission is going to keep moving forward, that God is going to keep doing his work and he wants you a part of it. And so, Lord, may we truly be a people that are looking forward and onward by loving you and loving others. Continue your work in your people. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.